this is our new normal, our new normal, our new normal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a real American trait, the pioneering, the adapting. You can upload your employees, your vendors, your volunteers, anybody. Oh, the kids will be out of school for a couple of weeks. And <laughs> little did we know. So we've been working with organizations to really help them assess where you're at. And now, the safety zone. Welcome, Mike. We're going to take a little departure today from some of the topics we've been talking about and, and really look at the situation with COVID-19 and just how that is having such a ramification on businesses, especially small businesses, you know, places like Amazon. I read in the article the other day, Amazon, Walmart, Target. I mean, their profits are out the windows. They're, they're doing well because they were open. They were considered essential businesses. But when it comes down to mid to small businesses, they've really taken a hit and, and are continuing to take a hit and, and trying to find out how do we do business, right, in the age of COVID. And Mike, you have such a great story because you are, of course, a business owner, private business owner. And um, we want to hear about you. I think it'd be encouraging for those listening that are that have a business or know someone that owns their own business and just to provide some not only encouragement, but maybe even some tips on what you've done in the midst of the pandemic and also understanding that we're still we're still kind of there. We're not, we're not clear out of the woods. You know, we're still dealing with this and some states of course are more open than other states, but overall the businesses are, they really could use some advice and hear about how you've handled your business structure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess right out of the gate, I'll make an admission. In February, one of our strategic partners that several of them come out of kind of high level positions. Some of them were liaisons from the White House to Department of Ed and state commissioners of education. They had mentioned in about mid-February, they said, hey, this COVID thing's coming and we'd have little discussions before we got into our meeting and they would say, and this thing's got the potential to really shut schools down. It's going to shut things down. And I can, I really remember going, ah, you guys are chicken. This is not going to happen. I was thinking back to SARS when the first case yes. showed up here. It was going to be this major pandemic that was contained very quickly. And, and so you know, I'll be honest with you. My mindset was fear monger, fear monger, fear monger. And when it hit, our school closed a week before spring break. So on March 16th, I got an email that said, hey, we're closing down school for a week. That'll give us two weeks. We'll come back from spring break. Hopefully this thing will have resolved. So when we hit 316, I was still in that mode of didn't really think this was absolutely still going to be what it turned out to be. I say all that because when we're talking about prepping for mm -hmm. dealing with something that comes completely out of left field at 100 miles an hour, I wasn't prepping in February. When it hit, it hit with such a vengeance that there was no prep that went into it. I can remember on March 16th, I did an all-leadership meeting, and I mentioned to our leadership team on that day, I said, hey, we're all going virtual. Schools are shutting down. The world's shutting down. I hope this is going to be short-lived. I hope this is a couple weeks. But as we move into this area, I said, one thing I want you to do as leaders, I said, I want you to pay attention and use this as a lesson in leadership because I just, I still had not 
really got my head around whether or not this was as big and real as it was being perpetuated in the media. But I said, I want you to watch because you're going to see lessons in good leadership and you're going to see a lot of lessons in bad leadership. And so that was kind of the first marching order I had for our team as we kind of moved into this area. You know, Mike, you brought up a point too. It's like, really, none of us were prepared. We, I don't think we've ever had, at least in my lifetime, I don't remember ever having a situation like this with things closing and the mask. And so it's kind of one of those situations where businesses, well, schools, everybody, but there was probably no preparation plan because it did somewhat come out of left field for all of us. And we all thought, I think that, okay, a couple of weeks, <laughs> you go back to work, go back to school. And, and here we are getting towards the end of summer, and we still are having partial openings, etc. So when you look at that, is there, it would seem like it would be critical to have a foundation in place to ride out things that you haven't been prepared for. Did you have a foundation built that helped you? Yeah. If you know who Dave Ramsey is, and if you don't, you've kind of been living in a bunker because I've been listening to Dave for 20 years, I think, and went through his course years ago before I even launched Safe Hiring Solutions. And when he talks about having enough money set aside, that if something hits and happens, that you're not going to starve in 30 days. Well, I kind of applied that both personally, but also professionally. I had never taken any kind of outside debt. We had very very, very, very little debt. I just hate debt. So a lot of times I'm using growth and revenue growth to pay for development and any new projects. I don't have outside investors. Some people say I may be a control freak. I also don't want to be beholden to anybody else. I don't want anybody else making the rules. I don't want anybody else making the calls. And I thought about this a little bit. If I had outside investment, the first thought that they're going to have is how do I protect my self-interest as an investor? with an unknown future. And my number one goal was to protect my teams. And that's one of the first things I said. I held an all-company meeting. I wanted everybody to know that worked for me, we're going to be okay. And privately, I was telling my wife that this thing lasts for eight months. At some point, I'm going to have to make a really, really tough decision because I've got enough cash on hand that I can keep this business going, but I can't do it at my age to the detriment of I'm going to be working till I'm 90 if I live that long. And so part of me, a little bit of sleepless nights going, Mm. Yeah. Oh, I've got single moms. I've got people that depend on this job day in and day out. But I wanted them to know, don't worry about this. Focus on your kids. Focus on your family income. Do not worry about the income. We've got you covered. We're looking at this in a two-month window here. Fortunately, the Payroll Protection Act came out. We were one of the first businesses to jump on that. Just It bought us two months. And so at that point, I shifted about a week later as we started through that process, which took a little time. My marching orders to the leadership team was... Now that you can take a breath, you're not worried about the future of the business. We're in good financial position. What I want you to do is do two things for me. One, make yourself relevant. That means getting squarely in your lane. Because what happens is we've grown from a small business to a medium-sized business where we have some leaders that have had their hands in everything And they struggle sometimes with getting out of their lane a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
the difference between helping and getting completely out of their lane and causing some confusion. So I said, this is the opportunity to get in your lane. I'm going to work with each of you individually. I'm going to show you and define for you what your strengths are, why you're so valuable to me and a company. And it's going to take a couple months. So I've used this as an opportunity to really breathe in our leadership team to get them in a place where man, this is why you love coming to work. This is the part of your job that you kill it for me. Quit going over here. If you're a customer client facing and you love and you're relational, mm-hmm. I don't need you in technology, okay? Because you're just going to hate it because that's unrelational. Get right. back to what you're really good at. The second thing I, I kind of mentioned to them is we've got a backlog of projects because we were scaling fast coming into COVID. And so we had all of these projects, but it was trying to figure out and prioritize where do we go? You know, we're trying to get safe ministry launch. We had technology projects. And I said, take a deep breath and start pounding projects. And so we started developing a list immediately. Here are high level projects that have been setting and we're going to start pounding those out. And I said, we're not stopping software development. I'm not pausing any of that. And so I really got them focused on background check numbers, that part of our business, which is one part. We can offer a 360 solution. We have proprietary softwares and so different revenue streams, but the background screening dropped 70% overnight. I mean, there's no schools, nobody's hiring. So I said, we took teams that work in operations and I said, let's expose them to the larger company. What are projects? How do we bring in somebody that may work in quality assurance? Well, we're not really pushing that many reports out right now. And until that recovers, how do we expose them to a larger part of this company? They can learn, but also help drive projects. So we were able to cross train, get some of our team's experience in other areas so they understood in a broader picture what their role and how that impacted the rest of the company, as well as getting into some areas where it had nothing to do with their position, but they could see a part of the company like the visitor management or software side or the security threat assessment side that they've never been exposed to. Mm, Just listening to you, I I was sitting here thinking, first off, it's like, what a stand-up guy you are, because I usually a lot of people, and I've seen this in nonprofits too, to be honest with you, that their first thought doesn't necessarily trickle down to the employees. It's thinking about how am I going to survive? How am I going to do this? So to have, in my opinion, to have that perspective, that will come back, I think, in positive ways in your business life. You took care of, you made a priority of your people. My business is my people. It is not me. And I can also tell you, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. My dad was a state trooper. My mom and my dad chose for her to stay at home until I was in high school. And then she moved to a prosecutor's office position. Looking back, I didn't know that we were really poor. (laughs) Didn't feel like it because that's just how everybody was. And so I was a police officer. I never got rich as a police officer. I know what it's like to uh, write a check and drop it in the mail for a utility and pray they don't cash that sucker for two two days because I know that I don't get paid for two days. I've never lost sight of where I come from. And so I really understand what it means to uh, most of my life until I didn't launch safe hiring until I was 40 years old. or actually just under 40 years old, but it took a long time to make it profitable. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've never lost sight of where I came from. Yeah, that has to obviously 
trickle out to all of your employees. What a boost to morale, right? What a boost to team, just to the whole concept of, of what you're doing when you have a leader that's doing that. And that's a leader, uh, not trying to inflate the head or do any of that if anyone's listening. But, but really, I think we see sometimes a real lack of that in this particular era of just across the board and really needing good leadership. And I, I think that's a real cue to other businesses as well is just the importance of leadership in that time and what that looks like. How did you, even now today, it's like in making decisions, what is your advice to business leaders in terms of not only trying to keep afloat, some of them are just trying to survive, right? But to even be able to turn this around and be creative and find actually some prosperity in the midst of it for the business. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say a couple things. One, I still am kind of breathing into our leaders to watch all of this because lessons in leadership, there's a million books. Go to Amazon. Everybody's got a book on leadership. Everybody can tell you what a good leader. Now, I come out of an environment as a law enforcement officer. If you've been in the military, law enforcement, if you've been in a position where you're going to kick a door in and people are going to follow me into a house, they're not following me in there because I'm saying, hey, I'm your leader. Follow me in here. They're following me into that house in a dangerous situation because they believe in you. They believe you're going to protect them and, and you're in this together. You're a team. And so I said, there's some valuable leadership lessons that are going yet today. I said, do not look, and I'm not trying to be disparaging, but I said, you're going to see a lot of political leaders. We call them leaders, but you're seeing them riding fences, making decisions based on popularity and polls. Right. And I said, when you see somebody that's making decisions that are unpopular based on data, based on really instinct, what is going to be the best for everybody? I said, that's a sign of leadership. Leading is tough. And it's not right. about me telling you anything. It's about displaying leadership and behaviors and integrity. I don't say one thing and do something differently. So the lessons in leadership right now are huge for anybody running a business. Mm -hmm. Just learn from leadership. Some things that I would mention is I immediately looked at every dime going out of this business because, again, I'm protecting our teams. And I looked at some of our marketing partnerships and I looked at they're not going to bring any return on investment for several months. So I immediately stopped any outgoing partnership that didn't have any immediate return on investment. And so don't labor along spending money foolishly in the middle of something like this. I think right. the other lesson that I've learned is how quickly this happened. Some of these partnerships I'm not bringing back. It may not bring back for quite some time because the speed by which this thing came taught me a lesson how quickly something like this could happen again. Could be man-made, could be natural. Yeah. I guess there's some debate over whether this was man-made or natural. <laughs> but um, So really looking at how do you do a, an assessment? I was talking with a really large mega church in New York City yesterday, kind of a second round, and she said it. She goes, I am focused on 
assessing everything we're doing right now. I have opportunity. We're not meeting in person. I have more opportunity. So I've been really challenging our team to really not stop because really we saw about 30 days where there was like few conversations and being respectful of that, we were not marketing or, Mm -hmm. and then people started to wake up. They're in their basement. They're starting to plan for the future. Is that a month or six months? It could be different depending on where you're at in the United States. And we started seeing conversations. And so we've been working with organizations to really help them assess where you're at, do a 360 and do an evaluation. That's a lesson for leaders right now. Really look at where are you spending your money? Are you spending it wisely? Where do you need to tighten up a little bit? And then what can you do virtually? We've been doing background screening virtually for over a decade. We didn't call it virtual. Now we do. And so we started working with organizations. And so how do you pivot and now not look at a at like a car salesman, because if I back up to February, actually, if I back up not quite that far, if we stop in March, one of our partners came to us and said, hey, what do you got COVID we can sell? And that, to me, my immediate response was, I'm not a car salesman, not disparaging, but I was not going to go out to any client and say, what does it take to get you into a COVID product? I just did not feel like... Mm-hmm. That was our lane. However, over time, what we've seen is problems created by COVID and organizations needing a solution for those problems. That's when we made a pivot because there was something valuable and viable that they needed to be able to open or potentially reopen their businesses. Exactly. It's it's not trying to take a horrible situation and, gee, how can we profit? But it's in the long game, right? You are in the long game. And and the reality is with COVID, I think all of us in the beginning, I thought, oh, the kids will be out of school for a couple of weeks. And <laughs> little did we know that here we are when school starts and everything's still somewhat uncertain and hybrids and seeing how things are going to go. But I think it is a valuable lesson in what you're saying, even with the products that are being developed for COVID. And and just when I go to just even to stores, retail stores, restaurants, what they've had to do to adapt. And I thought, you know, I tell you, it's one thing about the American spirit, the creativity, and I think adaptability, and you have to adapt to it doesn't matter if we like it or don't like it. The reality is you got to adapt to be able to function. And I'm telling you, I sometimes just smile when I see the creativity, especially with restaurants where you're still the in dining might be if they even have it, if they do, they're 50%. So you got tables, they can't sit people up. But I'm seeing restaurants that literally have taken chunks of their parking lot and made it outdoor dining and roosted it up. And I smile about that because I think it's a real American trait, the pioneering, the adapting and re kind of energizing or remodeling, right? What we do. And have you seen that as being important as well in your own business? of just adapting because we can complain, but at least it seems like the lessons we're learning is being able to adapt and be creative. You never know when another thing's going to come up. And so to be able to thrive in the midst of something like this, or at least to be up and running and keep your business going can really have a plus side to it. Yeah. I think it's the spirit of being an entrepreneur. I think there's two sides to this. There's one side that anytime you have 
a major problem. We see this with school shootings after Parkland. We see it now with the pandemic. You're going to have what I call lots of sharks in the water. And there's groups that started after Parkland selling every kind of security apparatus. And we help our clients navigate, no, 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 do not spend on this, this, this. We've done the same thing with COVID. Immediately, everybody turned to thermal fever detection. And I'm telling you, we're up to our eyeballs. And one of our partners, one of our close strategic partners, still doing a lot of testing of different devices. I spend almost 99% of my time when somebody reaches out about thermal, educating them because I don't think it's a wise decision. Why? Because fever is one of maybe many symptoms. Oftentimes they say you're more asymptomatic and contagious 48 hours before you even show a symptom. A lot of people aren't projecting fever, but the technology and the science behind the technology has been rushed to market in many cases because of COVID. And if it's skin detection, there's so many variables. I had a team in Tampa, Florida doing some work at one of our large school clients and if they drove from one school to another school, come out, get in a hot car, drive two blocks, walk into another school before the air conditioning even kicked on, they were they were over 100 degrees on skin temperature walking into those buildings. Exactly. Yes. Wait one minute, they were back to normal. So you're going to be dealing with a lot of this. So because the technology can be really expensive, I was really counseling clients, as long as you understand that this is such an inexact science and how are you going to manage it and how are you going to deal with variables? It's sunny today. It's not sunny. I got a bald head. I walk in, my skin temperature is going to be higher. If you got dark hair, you got light hair. I would say it was one of the largest webinars attendance wise we had ever put on. And we haven't had a single client now purchase that technology because it's going to have potentially a short shelf life. Are there ways to be able to manage this more efficiently? And the answer is yes. So we immediately pivoted. And so we helped organizations with virtual onboarding. My team is still dispersed, but think of some of our really large school clients. How are we onboarding without having 50 or 100 people walking into our office? We can't social distance that many. I said, we, we can virtually do background checks. We can virtually remote identify people. We can do Form I-9 and E-Verify virtually. We can do automated reference checks virtually. So, so much of the onboarding process can be done virtually. So we started helping our clients that weren't already using that technology kind of move virtual. I mentioned the large church we're talking to in New York City. They have some very specific state and city requirements to reopen questions that they're going to have to ask. So in a mobile app now, you can upload your employees, your vendors, your volunteers, anybody. And these recurring visitors that are coming in, this particular church says we want our employees on the days they're coming into the building before they ever leave their home. We don't want them to get here and touch a kiosk and find out that they've got some issue and maybe they've exposed people on the train, in a car, in an Uber. We want them to do it from home. So we, we're getting ready to uh -huh. launch on September 15th. You open the mobile app, you have got to answer these questions. This is a per client basis. They could be CDC related, state related requirements. And if you answer yes to any of these questions, it locks you out 
from being able to come in that day and you cannot open that app and do anything with those questions or enable that app or barcode to check in for 24 hours. Or if a client said 48 or 72, it's their prerogative Mm -hmm. how long that is. Those are, yes, it's self-reporting, but I think self-reporting is going to take us a lot further than some of these thermal scanning and some of those pieces. We've built it into our kiosk. So if I have a visitor who's not recurring, just a one time coming in, we can set up a kiosk in a vestibule. This could be a laptop and they come in and they have to answer these questions. If they answer one yes, it's going to send them a message. Hey, not allowed to visit today. Call this number, whatever message the client wants. And so part of what we're doing is bringing organizations along, adding in some value that's not terribly expensive. And if they're already using our services, these are just added features that Mm. come with the, the product that they're already using. The other component to that is how do organizations operate in a virtual world? Two of our largest client markets are public and private schools, church and ministries. And I'm going to tell you, I would get so angry for the first couple months when, oh, this is our new normal, our new normal, our new normal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I refuse to accept that. I'm going back to normal. I'm shaking. I still shake hands. I may sanitize them after I do, but I am a handshaker. That's one that's not on the FDA list, by the way. (laughs) There's parts of me. I am going back to normal someday. I'm a hugger. I'm not moving away from that. I am much more socially distanced, like in the office, even, you know, when when our teams are here, I'm not leaning over your desk when you show me something. I'm keeping some distance, but that part of it is going to go away from me. The part that is not going to go away for, I think, our schools and our churches in particular is virtual is going to be a part of their normal moving forward. And I think it's a viable part of that. Some people may perform better virtually as a student. I've yet to find one in my household that does. Same here. However, <laughs> I think some may. But I do think that the church and ministry has the ability to reach so many more people with a virtual environment. So the idea of spinning up quick services, I think it's going to be extraordinarily competitive as we move forward. So now I may be regionally based, but I we've had a radio station for years in my church. We have people all over the world that listen. Yeah. Now, how do you do Sunday school, children's programs, youth? How do you do some of this virtually? There are risk attached to this, not just cybersecurity risk and who could come into this. And we saw one school district locally where a guy hacked in, exposed himself during a high school class. Those are risk. But the other risk are, we did a podcast on this in a virtual world, our teams and volunteers. Do you think you don't need to screen volunteers or or youth teams that are working with our children absolutely do. You need to be looking at policies and procedures. What is acceptable, not acceptable? Following each other, social media contact, one-to-one Snapchatting. How do I use some of these technologies in a virtual world to do grooming? And so there's a whole lot of thinking that goes into this. And we've actually added it to our 360 kind of security assessment and wheel. A lot of people are calling this digital, physical and digital. It's a combination. So digital has been a term that's been around a little bit. But we have incorporated that into our 360 assessment just to get organizations thinking about 
you can't just spin up a Zoom and turn your teams loose. There's got to be very strict protocols around this. Mike, once again, just incredible information. I, Like you said, it's like, we all want to get back to normal. And you always hear the thing of, we'll never get back to pre-COVID normal. And I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm planning on being as normal as I can, if that's possible. Um, but, you know, the reality is there's obviously been a lot of hardships, obviously a lot of, of issues, but but we can adapt and we can, in fact, see some actual benefits that businesses in particular and schools are learning from this. There is something to glean during this season. And, and I know for just someone that for years has worked virtually or out of my home. That was popular. And then it started to wane again. And now a lot of businesses are saying, gee, there's certain positions that, yeah, that don't have to be in-house. So, I mean, we are learning through this and we appreciate the advice you're giving and just want to encourage businesses that are out there. And, and of course, as, as we always close, if you are a business owner, you have a business that you are either struggling or things that maybe you need help in adapting or school or church, of course, because everybody is going through this. Please reach out to Mike's people, to his business at safehiringsolutions.com and it just even help you through the muddle, right, of what to do and what you can do, I should say at this time. So Mike, thank you for such a, an informative podcast and, and honestly an encouraging one. I think we all need to realize there's, there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you. Yep. Just keep in mind the cup is half full, not half empty. Exactly. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.